Hello and welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Shop.net. In a week dominated by INTO Congress, I'm going off the agenda this week and talking fashion. Ah, these uniforms are a godsend. Horseplay is down 40%, youthful exuberance has been cut in half, high spirits are an all-time low. The complimentary words of Superintendent Chalmers in an episode of The Simpsons when Springfield Elementary introduces school uniforms. Any excuse for a Simpsons quote. This week, I'll be arguing that we need to scrap school uniforms. But first of all, here is this week's news. This week is Congress week, where loads of teachers head to some part of the country, this time it's Galway, uh, to raise motions and talk from big plinths. To be honest, I find the whole thing very artificial, and I really haven't noticed any of the priorities over the last decade actually happening. Um, Let's take principal benchmarking. Over a decade, nothing. Pay equality for LPTs, as they're known, eight years and counting. Uh, This is despite my prediction yesterday, uh, I'm recording on a Tuesday evening here, so on Monday, when uh, I thought there would be a big announcement ending it this time. Um, But uh, sadly, that actually didn't happen. And as the time goes on, it's proving to be actually even worse than the INTO we're celebrating. Uh, Anyway, in any case, I'm going to cover uh, Congress in more detail um, in next week's episode uh, when it's all over. Um, I'm currently collecting every single tweet with the hashtag INTO Congress 19 and every newspaper article I can find about it. Um, So if there's enough time in next week's episode, I'm going to kind of join uh, up the normal episode with a special section dedicated to my thoughts on the Congress from afar. I suppose seeing it's in Galway I'll be hurling from the ditch I I can't believe I've made a GAA reference I I must be losing touch anyway one thing I did want to note uh, about this uh, about the um, Congress um, and about the way it's been uh, talked about in the media before Congress was all the newspapers are full of stories relating to the needs of second level Um, in the last week uh, I've seen about a dozen articles uh, about from second level unions focusing on special education needs lost teacher pay over the last decade junior cert reform and the case for history as a compulsory subject I didn't read a single article focusing on primary union issues before Congress actually started Anyway, there's been plenty of other things going on this week, so I'm going to focus on them and we'll be back to Congress next week. One of the things that really annoys me about newspapers is that their education stories often tend to be to have nothing to do with education. Take, for example, the big headline last week from the Irish Times that the government are in talks to buy land in Goatstown, which is in Dublin 4 slash 14, somewhere around there, in order to build a primary and a secondary school. Now, the story focuses on the fact that the site will be the second highest amount paid for land for a school. Great. Um, I... I, I I don't know. I just, I just, I just don't think this is educational news. I mean, it's it's land news or property news or something. And one commenter actually on my Facebook page uh, rightly pointed out that the cost of the land is actually probably going to be around the same amount to sort out pay inequality. Would you believe that's madness? Uh, which is actually 
the most useful thing that's come from that news story. Um, a more interesting story uh, came from Catherine Donnelly in the Irish Independent with the headline that rural schools are struggling to stay open due to people moving to urban areas. Now Donnelly uh, says in her um, article, small primary schools generally in rural areas and particularly in the West are a distinctive feature of Ireland and like the Garda station, post office and pub, they're highly valued by communities as a sign that their heart is still beating. Now I'm going to be covering rural schools in a future episode. Um, I don't know when that is. I think it's a, a good while away. But the main thing is that we can't actually do nothing and expect schools to remain open to be honest with you i mean that's that would be my main point we've seen it with post offices they didn't adapt they died guard stations they didn't adapt they died pubs they didn't adapt they died it's not good enough for schools also to just dig their heels in and say we should not we should not close we should not close and not adapt otherwise small schools are going to close down and numbers are declining. I mean, we, we can see that. People are moving to more urban areas. Something's going to have to happen and you can bet the government aren't going to be the ones leading it. So I suppose I, I will get into it in more detail when I, when, I, when I cover the topic and I know it'll be a highly emotive uh, sort of subject, but ultimately small schools are going to have to think a little bit outside um, of the box. I hate that term, uh, but um, in order for them to survive. And I mean that with the best of intentions. The Irish Times did have one decent article about uh, education. It was actually a very interesting article about accountability in schools uh, called When Schools Go Rogue. It starts with a quote from Noel Muldoon, the Ombudsman for Children. And he says, The autonomy offered to Irish schools means the government has been unable to exercise necessary oversight. Sorry, the, the autonomy offered to Irish schools means the government has been unable to... Sorry, who gives that autonomy? Oh, it's the government. They give... The government have basically passed on the education to patron bodies. So they're, you know, what? I, I, I don't know. Anyway, the article continues. In essence, Muldoon was making a damning observation. Our publicly funded schools, almost all of which are governed by a board of management, are not sufficiently accountable to the public. Look, you know, this article is very critical um, of the power of, that a board of management has. I mean, I just wonder who, who gives them this power, who, who when it suits the government, which it does, um, you know, they, they don't want to be responsible for schools. They're quite happy for a board of management to be in charge of each individual school. It's brilliant in lots of different ways. You can have loads and loads of pitting schools against each other, pitting patrons against each other, so you can get what you want by wiggling around it, uh, as we've seen over the last uh, number of weeks uh, through these podcasts. Um, but anyway, uh, they're very critical of the power of the board of management has and how the complaints procedure is very flawed. Now, it's a very one-sided article, as you can tell from my reaction, but it does raise an important point about how schools are run. There's so many problems with our system that it's impossible to know where to point the finger at times, to be honest. Schools, they're under-resourced, but expectations are way beyond what's reasonable. Boards of management are made up of very, very nice people, well-meaning people. They're all volunteers and they do not and mostly do not have the required skills to manage schools. And if they knew the responsibility they were taking on when they were asked to be on boards of management, there is no way they'd take the job. And um, the Department of Education is made up of basically these paid bureaucratic civil uh, civil servants that actually don't have a clue how schools work on the ground. I mean, they're quite happy to create these weird systems that just are un- inhuman, inhumane, uh, inhumane and not human. Uh, parents as well, or you can point the finger there, they, they unconditionally love their children, rightly so. I can unconditionally love my child. But that sometimes leads to over-expectations of what schools can do. Parents can, can find that they ask schools to do things that are absolutely not the role of schools. The, the amount of things that I'm asked to do in my job, which have nothing to do with education, is, is beyond belief. It's not beyond belief because we just, we just do it. Um, so, but the thing is, 
we have to remember what what schools are um and um there was an interesting uh, facebook post there the, uh, during the week where i listed all the different responsibilities teachers seem to have amassed over the last uh, number of years uh, from psychologists to counselors to attendance officers to, to whatever you know there's so many jobs that we're expected to do right now very little to do with education, a lot to do with welfare. However, anyway, in all sorts of ways, it actually totally suits the government to have no responsibility and to pass all this stuff onto boards of management and yet have all the expectations uh, of how schools should run. And would you believe it? I do have a future episode on this. I feel like this is a preview for about a dozen uh, pre uh, episodes of uh, If I Were the Minister for Education. I'll move on to Voice for Teachers, a wonderful Facebook page for teachers. It answers teachers' questions, it publishes their rants and complaints, but most importantly, it raises big, big issues in education. All of the people behind the page have had some involvement in education policy, with a number involved in levels of the INTO and the Teaching Council. And this week, they're asking big questions about the set allocation model, which uh, I have touched upon over the last uh, few weeks. It's worth looking at those questions and advise all teachers to have a look and respond to them. I certainly will be doing that, and um, I may podcast about them at some point. Um, I'll see how I go time-wise. Final story is a very, very good one. I really, really thought this was a good story. It's uh, The headline was, Archbishop has warned against new polarisation between schools with a different ethos. In the article, um, the Archbishop argues that pitting different patrons against each other is actually damaging to the education system. And the Archbishop is absolutely right in many, many ways in his assessment. However, I do think a major problem actually isn't anything to do with religion. Uh, yes, for once, I'm actually not blaming religion in this podcast for something that's wrong in education. I actually think the major problem is the fact that all schools are private institutions and parents can choose to send their child to any school they like. This sets up the polarisation actually between all schools, not just between different ethoses. Okay, so the, and actually the more I think about, let, if we cast our minds back a couple of weeks ago, it seems like a lifetime ago to, that, to, to Malahide, the, the place that embarrassed themselves a couple of weeks ago, the more I think the reason they actually didn't want to be the ones to divest, so the schools, eight or nine schools were asked to divest, wasn't actually about saving the Catholic ethos at all. It wasn't even the fear of moving to educate together or the community national school model, but it was actually about saving their own enrolments. And I think the fear really is, is, is if they divested, families would just move to another school because of the fear of change. However, there seems to be a fallacy that all schools are in a strong network, all getting on together and we're all there for each other. But the truth is, in reality, there's little in the way of collegiality between schools unless another school is of no threat to them. We saw this during the set allocations uh, that I've been referring to for the last week, where schools had zero thought for each other. They really didn't. While they scrambled together to try and up ma- to make up 25-hour posts rather than allowing a computerised system to do the job for them. Principals openly admitted to me that while they knew it was a good idea to leave the allocating to the, uh, to the Department of education their sole interest was looking after themselves now the sooner we actually admit this and i'll give there's lots of other examples then we can actually move to a to a solution and the solution of course is to eradicate choice in education i mean i really really don't believe there needs to be choice in our in our education system children should just go to the nearest school yes there are issues with this i get it but they are far outweighed by the benefits right i've managed to get through the news without mentioning congress much so on to the feedback from last week's episode Thanks, as always, for the many comments, shares and likes from last week's podcast about scrapping spellings and table tests. This podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify and any other podcasting app by searching for either on shot.net or if I were the Minister for Education. I'd really appreciate you subscribing to the podcast so each new episode will be available to you immediately after its release. I'd also appreciate any five-star reviews so other people around the country can 
find uh, the episode more easily. And this week I received a really good question from one listener who wondered about my argument to scrap writing down the news in the mornings, as well as some extra thoughts on spelling tests. Um, the question I got, I, I quoted verbatim, is uh, just curious to know why you're not keen on writing the news in the morning. I do the day and the date um, in English and Irish and then a bit of news in Irish with my class. And I think it's a good way of getting them settled in and teaching them the days of the week and some informal oral Irish. They don't write it down, which is uh, interesting. I just write it on a separate whiteboard that I have. So I, I, I'm interested in that. Also, if you're not doing spelling tests and moving on to spelling tests, can you advise what you are doing? I do feel it is a wasted exercise, but as you say yourself, we just do it because that's always the way it's been done. So let's start off with the news. Um, I think there's definitely some merit um, in the news, depending on what one does how it's done and for what reason, if that makes any sense. We have to ask why are we doing these things, I suppose, all the time. So I think, you know, putting up the day and the date and getting feedback from the children of that on the board is perfectly sound, totally sound pedagogically. However, after that, I, I really think um, the idea of an oral news is uh, is perfectly sound as well because that sounds like what this person is doing. So the children give their news orally and the children are listening to each other's news. But then rather than copying it down, now I know this teacher isn't doing that, but lots of teachers do. Rather than copying it down, I think uh, it should be followed by free writing of the news. So you're, you're modeling, you're modeling by writing down the news, but then the children get to do some free writing of news that means more to them. And it's more effective than everybody writing the same thing from the board. Writing on a, writing it on a board is is a good uh, is a good idea. I don't think it's a bad idea, and maybe just some points to enhance that. Um, it might be a good opportunity to teach some sort of grammatical or spelling point, even so words that end in a certain uh, suffix or might focus on a, a phonic kind of a th a thing there depending on the class level um you know that leads me a little bit into the spelling test territory um i always think it's better to teach a spelling rule and get the children to write pieces focusing on that spelling rule rather than actually particular words i don't think single words are very useful much in the same way as i don't think single spellings or sorry single tables are very useful to learn them just one by one by one i think if you know a rule you'll know more you'll be able to spell more um, just certain uh, ideas that's slightly better than the spelling test is the dictation so the words are actually in context and slightly better again is that children write down their own sentences with the spelling pattern that you've taught or the spelling rule that you've taught them uh, to be honest I'm no expert in spelling I'm no expert in tables either to be honest with you Brendan Culligan is your guru in this area and I'd really recommend you read his book on spellings um, and on that on that very very topic Thank you again. And I love getting questions about, uh, about anything to do with the podcast, really. I, even if you disagree with me in any way, shape or form, I'd love if you send me questions, add comments uh, to the Facebook page, um, whatever whatever you want to get in touch with me, um, especially tricky ones, because it gives me a bit of a chance to think about what I'm saying um, and uh, send them on to me anytime and I'll tackle them uh, on the podcast. And obviously I'll reply to you privately if you uh, send me messages privately as well. Right, we'll get on to the main bit of our podcast. Despite there being bigger issues going on with Congress and everything, I thought it might be nice to do an episode on the podcast on something that isn't going to be that high up on people's list of priorities. Ironically, though, it's a subject that seems to garner more reaction that the far more important issues that are being raised in Galway this week will give. Yes, it's fashion and it's school uniforms. In this episode, I'll be arguing that if I were the Minister for Education, I would scrap school uniforms. When I went to primary school, nobody wore school uniforms. Um, I was in school um, 30 odd years ago and um, it was kind of more of a British thing to wear a school uniform to be honest. Um, however, next time I looked, almost 
everyone had a school uniform, with the exception of Educate Together schools and most Protestant schools. It was really weird, to be honest, to see children dressed in this drab polyester. I mean, I think it looks boring, to be honest with you. However, I, I know I'm almost alone because every September I see my friends on Facebook commenting how cute their friends' kids look and said grey and dark green and whatever, brown. I suppose tastes differ, but I still wonder, how do we get from a place where almost no one wore uniforms to almost everyone wearing them? And why? I actually can't find any record of when primary schools decided the time had come to switch from not wearing school uniforms to wearing school uniforms. It must have been around the 1990s because I finished primary school then and because I was a teenager I I didn't notice anything outside of my own fishbowl in my own world. I was too selfish for that kind of stuff. And when I decided to become a teacher when I was in my early 20s everyone seemed to be wearing uniforms. I'm going to guess it was sometime in the mid-1990s and This is, you know, I suppose, I'd say around the mid-1990s is about a fair guess. You know, I guess this is why you listen to my podcast here. The in-depth research here, you know, is really in action. But anyway, let's go with the mid-90s. Now, there's loads of arguments I've heard to defend the wearing of uniforms, despite the fact that every year since I've been a teacher, newspapers spend an inordinate amount of time bemoaning them, and bemoaning the cost of them mainly. In fact, Bernardo's, the charity, does an annual back-to-school report which outlines the cost of school uniforms which make people's eyes water. According to newspapers, supermarkets seem to be able to sell uniforms without crests for less than €30 in total, but when crests come into play, the price seems to rise significantly. However, it appears that schools are forcing families to shell out lots of money for uniforms, those nasty schools. And there is a suggestion is that if parents could buy generic ones and all those supermarkets um, in a particular colour that they all choose, this would be a great solution. We could all wear the same drab colour. That Bernardo survey suggests that an average price of uniform in primary schools is €95. Euro. So uh, one can see how savings could be made by parents if they were to buy their child's clothes in whatever shop they choose. Presumably schools could then sell on their crest to families, which they could then stitch on. So this is, this is the solution that the newspapers decide. So you spend €10 euro in whatever retail outlet in a drab coloured unif- uh, jumper and whatever. And then you buy the crest from school for whatever, a five or a tenner and, you know, stitch it on because, you know, we're all stitching things I don't know how to stitch anyway however I can't really understand why we need uniforms at all in primary schools I really don't I I cannot figure it out it's a discussion that I've had with loads of people over the years and no one's ever actually given me a, a satisfactory explanation as why do we need school uniforms I really don't get it um anyway um here are all the reasons I've been given and um you know and then my kind of reaction to them so number one and this is always the most popular one is uniforms stop bullying would you believe it i do you know what if i knew that i would uh, i i would would change our policy straight away they stop bullying. i in, would you believe in 99% of the schools where there is um where there are school uniforms there's no bullying simple yeah i mean this is the main reason i'm given and and the problem with this argument is is twofold seriously here let's let's look at the argument because it's in, number one is nonsense but let's let's actually break it down for it to be true Obviously, this is logic now here. Any school that wears a uniform should have no problems with bullying. You know, uniforms, no uniforms means bullying. So if you, you know, so wearing a uniform stops bullying. So therefore, no, if there's a uniform, there should be no bullying. However, only a couple of months ago, now this, uh, the government brought in, uh, sorry, a couple of years ago now, the government brought in new anti-bullying policies countrywide, which kind of says to me that bullying must exist in schools. Otherwise, why would you bother putting in new anti-bullying guidelines? And, um, you know, 25 years after, um, 
people seem to start wearing uniforms. I also worked in schools where uniforms were worn, by the way. I have uh, worked outside the Educate Together system and bullying certainly was an issue. Children are going to bully bully other children for any reason and it's generally little to do with what they wear. It's generally for a whole host of other reasons. And also I wonder do children start bullying other children on the streets after school when they change out of their uniforms? Of course they do. By logic schools don't schools don't wear a uniform also should have terrible problems with clothing related bullying. Now I've worked um in a uniformless school for about 15 years at this stage, maybe nearly 15 years and not once, not once has a child in any either of the schools that I've worked in with no uniforms had any hassle for what they wear. Children in these schools and probably all schools, in fact definitely in all schools, children are educated to accept difference and you know what? They generally do and bullying is nothing to do with uniform. It really has nothing to do with it. Anyway, that's number one, which people who will defend um, uniforms to the death will disregard anyway. But anyway, that's my best shot on it. What they will say once, if, if I get through them with that, uh, they'll say, do you know what? No, fair enough, fair enough. Maybe it's nothing to do with bullying. But you know what it does? It promotes equality. I love equality. Equality is one of my, my, my favourite words. You know, this reason just really annoys me. It really annoys me. I think the National Youth Council of Ireland's intercultural site sums these things up really well because we actually have to define what equality actually means because um, equality equality is a really, really, really... Um, uh, it was word that's bounced around the place um, and it, it, in fact it's lost all its meaning almost you know or not you know anyway but this is what equality is equality is not always about treating everyone the same it is about treating people in such a way that the outcome for each person can be the same and this means putting things in place to support people to achieve similar outcomes that's equality okay so any school that doesn't live up to that is not promoting equality. So everyone say wearing the same clothes at school is not equality. By forcing people to wear the same clothes, you are probably and most likely undermining some child's needs, beliefs, comfort, happiness, or some feeling. Why should a child be forced to wear a set of uncomfortable, drab clothes every day if they don't want to? I, I, that's a simple question. And on the flip side, if someone does want to wear the same clothes every day, I don't think we should stop that either. If I want to wear a dull grey v-neck jumper with a dull maroon tie and a scratchy polo shirt and polyester trousers which when I rub my knees together I create sparks. If I want to do that every day, do you know what? I totally should be able to do that too. But if I don't, I shouldn't. Equality should mean that everyone in school should have the same supports to feel happy and safe in school and wearing the same clothes as their peers does not actually do that in all cases. It might work for some people, it doesn't work for all people and do you know what, if you want to wear the same clothes every single day, go nuts. Three, here's my favourite because, you know, this came up a few weeks ago in Malahide. Um, it's about health and safety, my friends. Health and safety, the three words um, that many organizations use to stop things from happening and one of the mad arguments <laughs> this was one of the mad arguments from not divesting from catholic schools to educate together schools was because pupils would be lost on school tours due to the lack of uniform we have an official count of the number of children lost on school tours um uh, from uh, because they weren't wearing uniform it is currently at zero but expected to rise significantly 
again I'm quoting the Simpsons here um, but apparently school uniforms are a health and safety issue now there you go I can think I can think I can probably go back to my same argument as the one on bullying the only possible health and safety issue I can think about is that wearing a uniform makes a child's school instantly identifiable so if a child is behaving badly or is in danger wearing a uniform might be able to help okay I'm giving you something but to be honest while this argument seems to have some traction I don't believe it merits you wearing a uniform you know I mean surely you know children are, are you know wearing a uniform doesn't actually stop these things either anyway good supervision will generally negate the majority of problems and in the event of any kind of tragedy of a child being abducted a uniform is unlikely to save them i think health and safety argument is, is weak it's only slightly short um of a suggestion to microchip uh, young people which i shouldn't say loudly in case that happens well number four it's handy for parents now to be honest i'm more of a fan of what's handy for children rather than their parents but perhaps i'm being harsh i, I i'm a parent i can understand the parents do have a difficult and one less decision in the morning is likely to be welcome however i do think parents should be given a choice either way parents can decide to make their children wear school clothes or whatever suits them could a parent decide that a particular set of clothes becomes a uniform for the child why not i can't see why that why that isn't possible you know why do parents have to outsource their parenting to schools just put your kid in clothes you know if they go in dressed in their pajamas one day you know people will tell them you know their, their peers will probably you know let them know it won't be bullying but they'll let them know that they can't be wearing their pajamas the next day and they probably won't unless it's pajama day but generally most children are very sensible given the choice they'll just wear what's comfortable what clothes are in the house in fact children are really bad at going out of the house without their parents and buying inappropriate clothing parents generally will buy the clothes for the children so if parents buy clothes for their children then um, they can wear them to school and that's it school clothes not school clothes um anyway um let's move on because um i'll start giving out and uh, uniforms are necessary in the real world bang qed you lose simon um i have heard that argument it's been put to me that i wear a uniform to school i always wear a jacket a shirt and trousers and effectively this is my uniform um i think uh that the argument really is interesting and um, to be honest with you it's nonsense but um I, I would suggest that I wear appropriate clothing for my job. And, you know, what we're trying to do um, is get children um, to do as well as part of their job, which is going to school. And a uniform, apparently, according to them, reminds them they're in the job of being at school. Now, the problem with this argument is that while I do wear a jacket, shirt and trousers, weirdly enough, last year I just made the bold decision to move from kind of those polyester kind of trousers to sort of um, chinos, um, you know, I mean, a radical change in my in my clothing. I, I don't wear the same clothes every day still. I still don't wear this. I have I actually I I know a lot of people think I uh, sorry most people don't know me at all uh, but for those of you who do know me if you see me I'm generally wearing a black jacket a white shirt or a blue shirt wow um, and uh, black trousers um, but um, I don't wear the same ones every day and I don't wear the same materials I don't wear the same lengths I don't wear anyway there's a bit of variety today. it's becoming my fashion show here I should start some sort of fashion Instagram thing anyway I don't wear the same ones every day I get to choose the colours the fit the material all that sort of stuff 
And you know what? Sometimes I go bold and I don't wear a shirt and I wear a jumper with a t-shirt underneath instead, you know, if I'm feeling a little bit casual. Anyway, essentially, I'm not forced to wear these clothes. I choose to wear the clothes that I'm wearing. However, I'm very conscious that I do dress appropriately for my job. It wouldn't be appropriate for me to wear a tracksuit in my job, so I don't. It wouldn't be appropriate for me to wear I don't know, pajamas in my job. So I don't. Um, so I don't think it's inappropriate for children to wear a tracksuit to school. I don't think it's inappropriate for children to wear jeans to school. I don't think it's inappropriate for children to wear whatever they want, mostly in, uh, uh, in, in most cases to school. However, you know, in fairness, there are some clothes that are inappropriate for school. So we discourage those. So for example, a child who wants to wear big, large hoop earrings, which could be ripped out of their ears at playtime, we tend not to allow those to be worn. Similarly, wearing high heels is probably not a good idea for a child, um, especially if they're running around the yard. So again, we would say not a very good idea. Anyway, in conclusion, children should just wear clothes that are appropriate to what they're doing. And weirdly enough, uniforms do not make a child learn better. And anyway, as with many things in life, my favourite TV show, The Simpsons, sums up most things. In one episode, as I've referred to in the past, the elementary school inspect, uh, introduces mandatory uniforms for the children. And after a while, the superintendent, our version of the Kigaras, says to the principal, here it is, another quote, well, I've got to hand it to you, Seymour. Seymour's the principal. These drab student coverings have created the perfect distraction-free environment, thus preparing the children for permanent positions in tomorrow's mills and processing facilities. I just think it's one of the most fantastic lines ever from The Simpsons. Um, you know, uh, last time I checked, we had left the industrial age and we are trying to embrace 21st century ideals of creativity and collaboration, not the mills and processing factories and facilities. But surely, as well, to go a little more serious, I know this is the most serious podcast you've ever heard um, uh, so far, uniforms may contravene a child's human rights. What um, if they don't wish to wear them? Let's, let's look at this. Article 10 of human rights protects people to express themselves. This generally is the article used to argue against laws where, uh, where women, pe people it says, but women in general, are forced to wear or not wear particular items of clothing. It stems from the right that a public body cannot enforce anyone to wear a particular item of clothing against their will. Now, I'm not sure if this extends to private entities, therefore there's such a thing as work uniforms. And because schools at the moment are technically private entities funded by public money, I'm not sure if this was challenged, would they get away with it? I'm kind of thinking it's dodgy territory. Um, I don't know if I would be brave enough to make my son the test case. I'd love to be. I am going to see. I've got about two, eight years before that actually happens. So please, if someone wants to do it for me before eight years are up, I would be very happy because I dread a wearing uniform when it comes to secondary school. Anyway, ultimately, I think the real reason, and in fact, I'm pretty sure the real reason that we've decided that wearing uniforms is a great idea is actually reason number four. It's handy for parents. And all the other reasons that I mentioned above are actually just cover-ups for that reason. I sometimes, you know, I, I, I think, you know, let we, we, we have to stop denying things. We have to stop making excuses for, um, I suppose, what we would call um, parenting. Um, I don't mean that enough to be so, uh, so to sound so bad. Uh, but I mean, Ultimately, I think the reason uniforms became popular because it was one less decision to make for parents. And fair enough, if that's the reason, let's just admit it, uh, rather than making up all these other excuses about health and safety, bullying and all that kind of nonsense. Look, 
it's not uniforms aren't for me i get that i'm totally in the minority so i mean guess i don't understand people a lot of the time and maybe this is just another one of these times We're going to talk a little bit about next week's show. You'd think that schools would receive automatic funding to cover any of their minor repairs that might need doing during the year. Well, think again. Next week, I'll be arguing that the minor works grant should be guaranteed every year and better yet, absorbing it into the main capitation grant. As always, thanks so much for listening to Onshaw.net's If I Were the Minister for Education podcast. Uh, please uh, feel free to give me a five-star rating if you can on your podcast um app of your choice whether that's itunes spotify or any of the other uh, platforms and i will be back next week to talk about the minor works grant and hopefully a little bit about uh, congress thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week bye bye <laughs>